0: Bus.
1: Welcome everybody to the podcast Relationships. Let's talk about it. I'm Privil Toplitsky. I'm a psychotherapist specializing in relationship issues. Everybody's got one. Partners, family friends, co-workers, neighbors, relationships. Let's talk about it. Welcome everybody to this episode of Relationship Repair through the process of NVC, nonviolent communication. And I have a returning guest, Steve Torma. Steve and I did a few podcasts in the past on nonviolent communication, so you should really check those out. Actually, they're one of the most popular episodes on my podcast, so many of you probably have already listened to it. Let me tell you a little bit more about Steve. And of course, you can check more in the show notes about Steve. But in the last 30 years, Steve has gently guided many people towards cooperation and regeneration is the former president of Earth Haven Echo Village in Black Mountain, North Carolina, where he continues to also live his passion for community and sustainability. He is the co-founder of The Real Center, and he was a core faculty member for the Asheville Tantra School. Steve is trained in nonviolent communication, radical honesty, body electric, restorative circles, permaculture, and creation spirituality. And through Steve's compassionate presence and guidance, he has helped countless of people to find healing, direction, and meaning in their lives. And I love having my conversations with Steve. And before I tell you a little bit more about what we discuss, I want to get a shout out also again. I love doing these podcasts and talking about relationship topics and issues. So if anybody wants me to speak at their organization or do any seminars or workshops in their capacity, please contact me. Let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. Well, in this episode, we emphasize the nonviolent communication mourning process, and that is M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, the morning process, where connecting with the unmet need and feelings that are generated when we have been less than perfect. So it's taking our aspects of regret that actually help us learn from what we've done without blaming and hating ourselves. So we discuss the aspects of self-forgiveness and connecting with the need that we were trying to meet when we took that action, which we now regret. We give examples of partnerships. Steve talks of different ways that he facilitates and guides couples through this process, but this process can also be interchanged to many different relationships, friendships, work relationships, and so forth. We also discuss, of course, of how do people know that they've experienced their unmet need and being aware of it. And one aspect that we talk about is when our consciousness is focused on what we need, we are naturally stimulated towards the creative process of how to get that need met. Steve also provided a couple documents on relationship repair and VC style that you can access on a hyperlink on the show notes. Okay, everybody, enjoy this episode. All right, here we are again, Steve. I really appreciate you wanting to have these conversations and uh i love what we're going to talk about today because we're going to talk about relationship repair especially from the nvc model Mm. and i just want people to know too it's uh it's a saturday afternoon here in Asheville. i got my mobile unit out at steve's place and it is raining and there's some thunder so Uh, You're going to hear that in the background, and that's just how it's going to be. You're going to be enjoying a rainy Saturday afternoon with Stephen Prepo. Oh, thanks for having me, Prepo. I I think in
2: some ways the rain and the thunder is uh, kind of a a, a nice image to have in the background because, like, right, conflict and relationship struggles, like a lot of rain and thunder, tears and anger, and so in some ways it's like, oh, it's a nice going on in the background I symbol what's we're trying to talk about it. and then it clears up
1: yeah, yeah exactly <laughs> yeah which it might be doing so yeah so you want to give people that haven't listened to the NBC communi- nonviolent communication podcast that I believe was back in the fall yeah uh, it will be in the show notes that you can refer to but can you give a, a brief synopsis of what that is yeah sure thanks
2: nonviolent communication is also called compassionate communication and uh developed by a man named Marshall Rosenberg. And the basic idea is it's built on the assumption that everything people ever do is an attempt to meet one of these universal human needs, the needs that we all have that are required for us to thrive, and that our feelings exist moment by moment to give us information uh, about whether needs have been met or not. And the Uh, Assumption is also that in every moment of our life, in addition to everything we're doing in an attempt to get a need met, that in that moment it's the best thing that we can think of to do to get our needs met, even if just seconds later we have a regret about that. So those are some really important uh, assumptions that NBC has uh, that are going to be related to our our, uh, conversation today around conflict and relationship repair. And usually those unmet needs, people aren't aware of what they are right away. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. We're yeah. so caught up in our pain and rage and so forth that we're acting out of just conditioning. We're acting out of our trauma, our fears, and we're not conscious that we're even, what need what our needs are in the moment, and we do things that we really regret.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So with relationship repair, there's parts of it that are strictly focused on communication but this part is really focused on NVC morning process that Mm -hmm. we're going to talk about and with the morning process that is an individual process is that correct even though the partner or other people might be witnessing it
2: well there's a couple of different ways to do it but in general it starts with yourself so one person doing this morning process with themselves and if and when they're ready to talk to the other person then it does go into Uh, doing it in combination with whoever else is involved with the conflict, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I want to be clear, what we're talking about here is morning as an M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Some people hear this and they think it's something (laughs) you do in the
1: morning. Morning pages, (laughs) right? Without writing down morning pages. Ooh, there's that nice thunder. Yeah. Right. So what's coming up for you when you're working with someone or some people around trying to identify those needs that are met after perhaps their actions created some havoc.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, usually people come to see me because they've been locked in a spiral of painful conflict around a particular situation or around a particular pattern of relating in their conflict that they haven't been able to transform. And so I'll usually start with one of the couple and uh, ask them when they think about what was going on for them at the time what were they really needing what was it that they were hoping to have happen when they said or did whatever it was usually it's something like yelling and calling each other names and that kind of thing
1: it could it be as severe as, like, infidelity, too? Sure. Making the decision, like, yeah. you know, betrayal.
2: Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes there's physical violence involved as well. Right. Mm-hmm. A whole range of those things. So then I'll ask one of them, you know, or both of them, would you like to work on wanting to heal this between the two? And, of course, they are always have that desire to, and by the time they get to me, they have that desire. You know, they've been feeling it strongly enough and so the first thing that I uh, start with is asking them if they can have empathy for themselves and what that means in the NBC model is when you said or did what you said or did at that time, what were you feeling and what were you what needs were you trying to get met? So a typical response would be, you know where one of them said to the other you know you're just you're just so selfish and self-absorbed and i hate you i'll say what was going on in your body at the time and they'll drop in and they'll they'll say there was well there was rage and there was fear and there was longing for connection and so forth and so they'll say okay then those feelings exist because you were tr- having really precious needs that were wanting to be met so what were those needs? And they'll say, "Well, I was wanting to be understood, you know. I just, you know, she wasn't listening or he wasn't listening. Okay, so you were really wanting uh, to be heard. You were wanting to be heard, yeah. And they, she just doesn't get me. He just doesn't get me. Okay, so you really want to be understood, yeah. And they don't get what the impact of that is on me. Like i was hey, so there's a need for empathy. So right there, within the first minute or two, they've named these really precious needs to be heard, to be understood, and for empathy. And then I'll ask the other person, well, what were you wanting when you responded the way that you did, you know, whatever that was. You raised your fist or you walked out of the room. And and very often it's very similar feelings and very similar needs. Mm. And that is one of the first turning points of people beginning to change their how they're seeing the situation which in NVC we call it having enemy images of the other person so they come in with these enemy images of the other person which usually involves a lot of name calling and diagnosing blaming and blaming exactly mm-hmm. yeah and that's usually is like the first turning point is they're beginning to see wow this person was wanting the same thing that I was right and then and then I often will take a little break at that point and, and ask them, you, you know, I really invite you to have some compassion for yourself because this is the way we were brought up to communicate. You're not bad people doing bad things. You're human beings raised in a culture that taught us to be violent, especially when we're triggered. Hmm. Right. So you're just repeating the things that you saw your parents do, right? and they didn't know any better either. So can you have some compassion for yourself? you were doing the best thing you could at the time and then I can usually visibly see them relaxing a bit like mm. some of the tension and fear and so like, like, it drains out of their body a little. and bit.
1: they recognize that don't they inside their body yes. there's, a, there's a release there's a relief for yes. some mm-hmm. softening
2: yeah because when we do something that clearly doesn't meet another person's needs such people we love we not only have judgments of them then we have judgments of ourselves and so when we can let go of those judgments of ourselves, or at least loosen up on them, then our heart can open a little bit more to our partners. And we can like, consider, oh, they weren't doing that because they hate me, or they're trying to use me, or whatever other images or diagnosis that I had of them. They were doing that because they were scared, they were hurting. And so that, that then becomes a point at which some softening happens, And then I can kind of go into the next layer of questions, which is like, when you said or did what you said or did, you know, so say someone, you know, the name calling, what do you think it felt? How do you think it felt in the other person? Oh, I never thought about that. Yeah, when I said that, that probably hurt because, you know, they were probably really needing understanding or empathy they be, then begin to ask them questions about the other person. And, and again, this is a so they sign get out of, of
1: some of the righteousness yeah. and get into the empathetic aspect exactly. of it. You exactly,
2: know. and they start being able to uh, expand their capacity. You know, the brain kind of goes offline when we go into fight or flight. And the higher functions of our brain, you know, especially the prefrontal cortex, which allows us to take perspective to enter another person's perspective. When we're in fight or flight, that is shut down. Mm -hmm. And as we relax, as we can get empathy from another person, like in those situations, it's me as I'm empathizing with them, and then they start empathizing with themselves, then the brain can start to come back online. And as it comes back online, you can see in their faces and in their body, they start becoming curious about the other person's experience. And so now they're ready to be more open to what was going on for the other person. So I'll go back and forth and say, what do you think was going on for the other person when that happened? So that's part of the conversation. And then we get to, in some ways for me, is the most fascinating and powerful step in this whole process, which is, what needs were you trying to meet when you said or did that thing, in that moment? Can you tell your partner right now, that what it was that you were trying to meet and so then they can do that you start to do that and then i ask them okay needs like for approval yeah need for yeah needs for acceptance avoiding for belonging Mm -hmm. uh needs for connection needs for empathy yeah
1: would a need for let's say escaping punishment Would that be a need if they wanted to, if they knew, the reason why I did this, I thought you were going to be very angry at me and leave me. Yeah. we In NVC language, we call that the need for emotional safety. Okay. Mm -hmm.
2: Because there's physical safety and then there's emotional safety. And most of the uh, safety that we seek in our culture is emotional safety. That's where most of us live in relatively safe environments. So, yeah, very often... I'm wanting to avoid conflict or avoiding something that will stimulate really uncomfortable feelings for me. So that's why I did what I said or did, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then another important step in this process is for me to give them empathy. When, when NVC, empathy is understood as connecting with feelings and needs. So all along the way, I'm connecting with their feelings and needs and giving them empathy and that allows them to soften as well. So then, often, their people are getting to the place where they can talk to each other uh, a little more heartfully and connect around this painful situation. And that'll often look something like so we'll call our fictional couple Jane and Bob, and we'll say, So. Jane, when when you hear Bob talking about how painful this conflict was, what happens, what do you feel in your body right now? And, And often the feelings will be something like, well, I feel sad, I feel disappointed, I feel hurt. Yeah, yeah. And what needs of your own, Jane, did you not meet? Now that's a very different kind of a question that, NBC asks that most people don't really think about, and they often don't know exactly what I mean. I was like, well, I'll give them a needs, what we have I call, a needs list in NBC. I was like, if you look over that list, what needs of your own were you not meeting? And they'll notice, oh, I didn't meet my own need for being compassionate. I didn't meet my own need for a quality of connection. I didn't meet my own need for self-awareness or honesty. And this becomes a very important part of the healing process because when we understand that the other person did what they did, one, because they were trying to get their needs met, although in a tragic way, and secondly, that they can see now that what they did did not meet their own needs, Mm -hmm. that becomes a very powerful transformational cognitive moment for the person, for both people. And that is what, at that point, is when the first step in major trust being reestablished. Because it's one thing to say, you know, if somebody were to say, hey, I'm sorry I did that, you know, I know that was was bad and wrong and Hmm. that kind of thing. That doesn't, that's not very reassuring to the other person that it's not going to happen again. That's right, yeah. But it becomes very reassuring when I get that my partner sees that they were trying to meet their own needs and they were behaving in these habitual ways of violence that does not meet my needs or their needs. And that, that is the really powerful moment when I've noticed that. It's like you can see on their faces people are like softening and these aha moments because you know, without, NBC, without the NVC paradigm, we're mostly stuck with our cultural conditioning about, you know, people do things because they're something wrong with them or whatever. And with this, in this paradigm, it's like, no, they're doing this because they don't know how Hmm. to get their needs met. And if they do know how, of course, we're all wired to get our needs met. And once we know what those are, then our psyches naturally mobilize the energy
1: for imagination and creativity. Right, right. Because when our conscious, when our consciousness is focused on what we need. Um, then there's more a natural stimulation towards a creative possibility to get our needs met. Exactly. So it, yeah. when we're just calling each other
2: names, That it doesn't lead to any imagination or creativity. This leads to more suffering. So in this process of getting each person gets connected to their own needs, the needs that they were trying to meet at that time, and then acknowledging, wow, the needs of my own that I didn't meet in the ways that I behaved, and my needs of my partner that I didn't meet in the ways that I behave, then when both sides can understand that about themselves and the other person, then there's usually a very thorough transformation of consciousness that leads to um, healing and, and growing trust with the other person.
1: Mm. And Do you ever have it where maybe one of the partners or the other person when they find out what need was being met by that person, that they make suggestions to them of another way that they could have got their needs met that would have benefited uh, the relationship? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. In fact, that's usually one of
2: the steps in the process, is after each person feels satisfied that they've been heard and satisfied that they really understand the other person, then I propose the question to them of, so if a similar situation comes up in the future, how would you like to handle it differently? Mm. But we don't go there until each person has had enough empathy for the pain that they just went through.
1: Mm -hmm. Right. How do you work with, I've heard this say, is the most violent word uh, known, and that is internal violent word, should. (laughs) So, you know, that's a lot of the unmet needs is people are saying, I should have done it this way. I, I should have, if I would have just done it this way, and when they're made a mistake and there's self-deprecation and and shame, how do you work with getting people out of, or understanding that what impact that should has on an unmet need? Yeah,
2: beautiful. So one of the practices, one of the core practices in NVC is that anytime we hear ourselves making these statements, self-deprecating kind of statements or demand statements or judgment statements toward ourselves, that that statement itself is a tragic expression of my unmet needs. So if I hear myself saying, oh, I was such an idiot, I should have known better, Mm. we immediately go to self-empathy. What is the feeling and what is the need that's being tragically expressed in my self-deprecating statement? And the other belief that's really helpful to transform that kind of consciousness is what I started off with, which is saying that in NVC, the belief is that everything we do is an attempt to meet a need. And in that moment was the absolute best thing that I could think of to do. It's just illogical if you have that belief, it's illogical to think I could have done anything right. else. I made I made the best decision. Exactly. Now. And then when we if and when we really understand that, we can apply that to our partner as well. That this partner may have done something that really stimulated a lot of pain in me. And when I can get past, get through that pain, I can take this perspective of, yeah, I sure didn't like that. And I can, I see that that was, they were doing the best they could at that moment. And then there's kind of a a Jedi skill that I can uh, sometimes bring into these situations, which is how have I, contributed to the, the behavior that my partner uses. Mm-hmm. Now, now, this isn't about blame, we're not blaming anybody, yeah. but it's just about getting more aware, becoming more yeah. aware and conscious of how our, whether it's an upward pattern or a downward pattern, you know, whether it's a healing pattern or whether it's a, a suffering pattern, we're both have a part in this. Yeah.
1: I love the question to ask oneself is what am I doing that's making it difficult to get what I want? Mm -hmm. Closeness, love, Mm -hmm. connection. Mm -hmm. Do I roll my eyes when my partner's Mm -hmm. talking? That's making it difficult Mm -hmm. to get what I want. So if I'm asking, and what can I do to make it easier to get what I want? Mm -hmm. Staying on my side of the net with Mm -hmm. it. But that's that internal question of my role. Yeah. Yeah. Because that's what change. That's the biggest bang for the buck that I have is my side of the change. I can't force anybody else to do that yeah in an NVC language we there's a particular way that we say
2: what you just said which is how can I relate to this person that activates their natural desire to want to contribute to me Mm. right because this is a another core belief we have in NVC which is that the most satisfying thing for a human being to do is to contribute to life is to meet needs, is to make life more wonderful. We have various phrases in NBC to to point to that. And so it's basically the belief that human beings desire to be in good relationship with each other. That's what we want more than anything, especially with the people we're close to. And so if I really believe that my partner wants to get along with me, wants to contribute to our life and make our life more wonderful together, then, how can I relate to them in a way that helps make that happen? Right? That's just another way of saying the thing that yeah. you
1: just said. And all that we're talking about is in interpersonal partnerships, but this really overlaps into friendships, especially the work environment. Absolutely. But yeah, just that aspect of everybody in work really wants to hopefully make each other's job easier, they want to excel and to achieve the goals that they want. Yeah. As, do you work with people in this process that's outside of interpersonal relationships? Um, much less so, but oh. yes, occasionally. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the beliefs
2: that is very helpful in finding ways to get past conflict is, is to really believe that underneath of whatever anyone is saying or doing is this tragic attempt to get their needs met. And so if someone's saying or doing something... Uh, that's not meeting my needs. It's like, if I can see past that and look beneath the, their words, that's one of the things that Marshall used to say, is like, never listen to the words that somebody is saying when they're talking to you mm-hmm. in violence, you know, judgment and blame and all that stuff. Listen beneath those words to what's going on in their heart. Now, granted, that's really hard when someone's swearing at you or calling you names or whatever, but the potential and the power of being able to create relationships that feel better, feel good, it becomes much more possible.
1: What happens when somebody has a difficult time holding holding both aspects of self-compassion, recognizing what the need, was desired to be met, but shame is blocking them from, they keep going to the shame aspect mm-hmm. and can't go over to the self-compassion. Because mm-hmm. I know for myself and the work, in order to really move out of shame, I have to have self-compassion because mm-hmm. if I stay in shame, it's just too painful mm-hmm. to take accountability and responsibility. Yeah. well, In, in the NVC model, uh, Marshall
2: had a particular unique understanding of, of both shame and guilt. They were two of what he called gateway feelings or alarm feelings that anger, depression, shame, and guilt we actually, unlike all the other feelings, they're not connected to needs being met or not met. They're connected to the thoughts that we are have going on in our head at any particular time. So anger in the NVC model is caused by any kind of should thought. So if I'm, my partner does something and I don't like it, I'm having the thought, they should not have done that, they should not have said that, and so I'm, I'm mad at them because of that should thought, or we turn it into ourselves, turn it toward ourselves. Oh, you know, I screwed up. I should not have done that. And so we get angry with ourselves. And so shame and guilt are connected to the thoughts that guilt is the thought, I did something wrong, and shame is the thought, there's something wrong with me. Mm-hmm. From well, behavior to personhood. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love that. I love the you, way you just said that from behavior personhood. I never heard it said that way. I like that. And so, in, in in the NBC system, we are really mindful that when I feel shame or I feel guilt, is again I recognize that oh, this is part of me having internalized whatever kind of violence I grew up with. Because how many times have you know growing up have we heard people say things like "What's wrong with you? What's the matter with you?" right? So we hear that in lots of different ways. I mean, and and in advertising, you know, we're told that there's something wrong if you don't look this way or you don't have this um, stuff or whatever. So there's all this messages that we get of we're not good enough, there's something wrong with us. So that gets in there really deep. And so that thought, there's something wrong with me, becomes one of the main ways that this energy gets blocked, the the compassionate energy between two human beings gets blocked. We notice it. So the first thing is to be able to notice these thoughts and then ask, okay, what's underneath of the shame? Or if it's guilt, what's underneath of the guilt? What's underneath of the anger? These are just the internalized oppression of growing up in in a violent culture where we all these things that we have heard, we then turn them in on ourselves or we turn them out on other people. So we notice that that's happening, have compassion for ourselves, connect self-empathy with ourselves, and then ask, what's going on beneath this? Right? So if I'm having shame that I yelled at my partner, I connect to that shame. I say, wow, I'm really having the thought that I'm a bad person. I'm, wow, I really regret having done that. I just, I'm mourning that that was the best thing I could think of to do at the time. I really want to find another way to relate to my partner, but that's the best way I could think of to do so in the future. What do I want to do differently? And then I ask, okay, now what's under the shame? Sadness, grief. It's usually these more tender, vulnerable feelings that are harder to feel. Anger, depression, shame, and guilt tend to be kind of go-tos, and that underneath of those are the more scary, vulnerable feelings of, grief and sadness and fear and so it often takes a little bit of work and coaching to help people get to those feelings and then those feelings are there because it's connected to our precious needs and so then that's the next question we ask we need the shame what are you feeling oh god so, so i'm feeling this grief yeah and what is that grief what need is that grief connected to is it, just my longing to know how to connect, my longing to know how to, how to create loving relationships, my longing to be free of so much conflict and be able to have to more harmony. And yeah, my longing to give and receive, to love and be loved. Yeah, all those tender, beautiful feelings and needs.
1: And I'm sure that if the partner, the other partner is witnessing it, there's an aspect of empathy and understanding coming from that partner instead of adding on to the shame that the person is, is feeling.
2: Yes. Yeah. Yeah, so
1: after people get through the initial phases
2: of, a, of working with a conflict, then there's so much more openness to that heart connection.
1: The mourning process, can somebody just even write down a whole bunch of shit that they've been holding on to for years and years and years and just go through each one on a list of, you know, remember when you got kicked off of a baseball team mm-hmm. because you did something wrong or yeah. you, you should have mm-hmm. um, spoke to people differently mm-hmm. and you didn't, and all mm-hmm. the way down. Is that something that when people get this, that they can continually do this yeah. for themselves as opposed to in partnership? Absolutely.
2: Absolutely. It's a, it's a wonderful process to do with myself. In fact, before I do it with another person, it's necessary to do it with myself because we're usually when we're in the presence of the other person, it's not usually possible to do this. So the mourning process usually starts with myself. But yeah, I could look back on my life, which I did when I first learned the mourning process, you know, 10 years ago or so. I started going through my life. Like, I remember one that was, might had particular shame about was when I was a teenager, I used to shoot birds just for fun. And now, you know, I just I'm, have so much reverence for nature. I'm like, I. When I think back to shooting birds for fun, I'm like, oh, my God. What was yes. the unmet need there? What I uncovered at the time was play and excitement, you know, that I was, I was kind of bored and had a lot of self-hatred and uh, frustration in my life, and I was looking for some way to have some excitement and fun. And, and it took me a while to, like, really get over that. But I, I just I had enough time doing that and realizing uh, that at the time it made sense. Given I was where, I, don't know, I was out on the farm and mm-hmm. we had 22 and there's lots of birds around and you know it's the whole thing that we just kind of adopt the values of the people around us. We don't know any better. And
1: for instance, that example that you gave, you having that process and having more self compassion for you. Is it easier for you then to have compassion, let's say, for a safari hunter that maybe is not aware of their unmet needs? And as we were talking about before, the aspect of that's bad, you know, that goes through. But because of that process, do you have more understanding and empathy? Yes, absolutely.
2: That's one of the most important things that comes out of this is when we learn to forgive ourselves, then we can learn to forgive others as well. In addition to that, there's another very important thing that can happen, which is I can have more influence on other people to encourage them to adopt compassionate behaviors. You know, so with someone who's uh, use this safari hunter, for example, if I, if I would like to convince them or encourage them to find another way to get their needs met that doesn't involve taking the lives of animals... I'm gonna have more possibility of connecting with them and and then hearing what my heart's longing is and greater possibility that they will actually change their behavior if I can approach them with compassionate energy. If I can approach them with the understanding that I get that you're trying to meet needs, that kind of thing. So that becomes another way in which self-compassion leads to greater compassion in the world because i can understand people and i can choose to talk to people in a way that they're
1: more likely to listen Mm. that's interesting because it just came up to me around even the political situation and if more candidates are out there really trying to understand people's unmet needs that would be an interesting perhaps change of how we go about meeting people's needs yeah absolutely these political dialogues
2: uh, are most often just uh, filled with a lot of blame and judgment and diagnosing each other and shaming each other, which is why they don't get very far. Mm-hmm. There is this other concept that we use in NVC sometimes called a post Posthearsal. post It's like the opposite of a rehearsal. Uh-huh. So in a rehearsal, you practice something before you do it. And in a post you replay something after you've done it, and, and I know lots of you know systems use some version of this, but I, I think it's particularly useful. So, if I have the time during a coaching session, I will ask people. So, if you were to do this over again, let's go through the steps of what happened, and let's look at each of the major points along the way of this conflict, and ask each other. What could we have done differently, Because right? conflict isn't usually one thing that happens. It's usually, you know, a bunch of steps that led to deeper and deeper pain. And then you avoid the, I should have done this, right? Yeah. Exactly. So now it's like, oh, next time I would rather, so mm-hmm. rather than, you know, leaving the room and slamming the door, I, next time I would have, I think I would like to try asking for 10 minutes to just breathe together. Right? And when, you know, another person may say, yeah, and, and instead of, you know, screaming at you, I might decide, hey, you know, can we turn on the music and just dance wild for 15 minutes. Right? So, and there's you know, there's an infinite number of ways to redo something, but it's kind of like you're back to being a team, right, rather than an adversary. You're back to being a team, like, okay, how can we free ourselves, you know, from this process,
1: so that we go from adversary to teammates. And you and I talked about this before on the other podcast because that's a great way of using visualization. When we see ourselves performing a certain way, of course, when we see ourselves in a behavior or speaking a certain way, our body doesn't know the difference between the reality of that or visualization. It believes that we've done it. So if we see that post-rehearsal over and over and over again, we're creating a new neural pathway for a new automatic response. Exactly. That's great. exactly.
2: And if it's in our conscious mind, we can also remind each other in a heartful right. way, <laughs> rather than in a demanding way. We can remind each other, hey, remember last time when we got to this point and we said that instead of doing that, we would rather you know, try this thing?
1: Let's try that now. So it, it leads to greater creativity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rainbow and I used to play with the acting part where a director would just say, All right, cut, take two and we would literally when we would be messing up, one of us would make that sound of clapping take two and we would try it again at all, not dwell on the the past aspect. And so this seems like a, a good way of also like, all right, let's just try something else. We know that we can we have these possibilities and yeah, the creative aspects of doing it together differently. Yeah
2: that's part of what's really exciting to me right now is Mm -hmm. there's
1: like so much creativity
2: bursting out about how to do things differently. You know, granted, we're still stuck in a lot of old violent ways in, in our culture, but there's also a tremendous amount of creativity happening right now, all different modalities that are being developed to deal both with the tendencies, the present tendencies that we have to be violent, as well as the effects of violence that we are carrying in our bodies right now from our own lives and from, you know, intergenerational trauma and so forth. Yeah. yeah.
1: You know, it's a, it's a great focus that you talk about with, that we're talking about, about repair, because there's so much focus on conflict resolution as opposed to not even talking about that, to me, Resolution means you resolve something and there's something else to resolve. So you're not really focused on the transformation i like the word conflict transformation instead But when we're focused on repair, that's the whole key of why conflict is there Mm -hmm. is for understanding Mm -hmm. And so when we do repair well, Mm -hmm. we go back into harmony and connection in that deeper form Mm -hmm. so focusing on ways of repair and understanding repair i think is so much better than even the aspect of using the word conflict resolution yeah beautiful so
2: we get to both learn we both get to heal from what happened and we learn new pathways uh, for the future and that that
1: becomes then a kind of an upward spiral yeah so I know on my end, another aspect of repair that couples always talk about and they get tripped up on it, I get tripped on it, is the aspect of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. You know, they ask for it, they want it mm-hmm. to be absolved and, and to feel good about it. But that's a, that's a huge process in itself. Yeah. How yeah. does the NVC model deal with the aspects of forgiveness? Well, the way that our
2: culture, and particularly because we have a Christian culture that thinks a lot about sin and so forth, the idea that somebody did something wrong doesn't really even exist in the NBC model. Cause if everything I'm due is an attempt to meet a need and every moment I'm doing the best that I can, then yeah, I may have done something violent. I may have done something that didn't meet my needs and your needs. I may have done something that, you know, stimulated a lot of pain, but can you call that doing something wrong? Can you call that, you know, doing a bad thing? Even if it's murder? Yeah, the belief in NVC is mm. everything you do is an attempt to meet a need. Mm-hmm. Again, that doesn't mean it's right. Right. But what it means is that it was a hugely tragic attempt to try to get a need met. I like that, a tragic attempt mm-hmm. to get a need met. Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, Marshall, Marshall Rosenberg used to say, the uglier the judgment, the more precious the need. Mm. Right? so when we're something is really really important to us and we really don't know how to get our needs met in a compassionate way that's when we go to go to these more violent things if you if we shift away from the idea that you're a bad person and you did a bad thing then that right there begins to like loosen up this concept of changes the concept of forgiveness cuz what is there to say i'm sorry about like i didn't do a, i didn't do anything wrong we actually don't believe in an apology in that sense of like the way that we're going to get over something is by me saying that I did something wrong, me admitting I did something wrong. We don't don't believe that that's effective in creating repair. But we definitely want to acknowledge that what I did was a tragic thing that didn't meet your needs and my needs. And I want to hear about the feelings that happened for you i want to hear about your unmet needs i want to be present to you empathetically when you tell me that and i want to likewise tell you what was going on for me and to hear and then that then that part about really understanding what the need was that was trying to be met at that time so once we really understand that about ourselves and each other then forgiveness actually can occur in a, in a much more powerful way than just the perfunctory process of saying, hey, I'm really sorry, that was really bad of me to do that, that, you know, that, that was stupid of me or whatever to do that. That doesn't really create much forgiveness. Right. It's
1: almost like a forced obligation to, yeah. to absolve the other person yeah. when they ask for it. So when
2: I really understand that what I did was tragic, and it didn't meet your needs, it didn't meet my needs, and it didn't meet the needs that I was trying to meet, that's when we can really get over things
1: and and have much more trust going forward. Hmm. That's a powerful one because that, that can happen through warring cultures and that can really shift a lot of the tragic Mm -hmm. violence that's happening in the world because i love that word that that it's a tragic need because immediately when i hear tragedy i I feel a softening and a sadness
2: Mm -hmm. yeah it's a tragic expression of an unmet need this is a saying that was very popular that marshall would say was um every judgment is a tragic expression of an unmet need right so i think you know, people can really relate to that. We, the names that we call people, you're selfish, you're an idiot, you're a jerk, or racial slurs, or all that kind of stuff. It's all tragic expressions. Tragic because in that moment, I'm very unlikely I'm gonna get my needs met. Right? Right. You're talking to me in a way that, that, that I'm not appreciating, it's not meeting my needs, and I call you a name. You're just, you know, prepo, you're just a selfish SOB. You're not gonna change in that moment and say, oh gosh, Steve. Right. here. What would you prefer I say? <laughs> you know, yeah. So that's tragic because I'm not likely to get my needs met in that moment.
1: Right. So that could be a lot of even healing for people that have grown up in violent households, alcoholic families, and so forth, to really understand that it was tragic the way that that person was trying to get their needs. Yeah, I did a lot of work around my relationship with my father
2: mm. in that way. It's like, you know, because he used to yell and hit me and Took a lot of years of you know therapy and thinking about it, particularly through the NVC lens, to realize. And then knowing some things toward the end of his life, he told me some things about his life that I hadn't known about. I was like, "Oh, okay, you're just playing out the violence that get passed on to you." Mm. And in fact, he actually toward my mom, he was he had actually broke the cycle of violence. You know, his parents, my grandparents, my grandfather, uh, he told me. I never saw it, but my dad told me that his father, my grandfather, hit his wife, my grandmother. And my dad saw that and was very, had a a lot of sadness and grief and vowed that he would never do that if he got married, and he didn't. So, we're all invited in our lifetime to see how much violence we can transform. That's been passed down to us, that's how I see it. And we'll be more or less successful (laughs) in that journey and then the next generation picks it up from there to see how much they can transform.
1: And people that wanna try to have something that they could reference you have something that we're gonna post up on the show notes? Yeah, I'm gonna uh, have this one page well front and back of the page
2: called Relationship Repair NVC Style and it goes through the step-by-step process of how uh, to do relationship repair. And I just want to, you know, acknowledge the people that while this is on a piece of paper all written out very logically, step-by-step, step, that it doesn't often happen that logically. Um, but it does. It, this will be a very good guide Great. to help people work yeah. through it. So
1: I'll have that on our notes for people to refer to. Beautiful. Well, thanks, man. You met an unmet need <laughs> of continuing this process with you of talking about relationship and relationship repair and... I love the work that you're doing out in the mm-hmm. world and collaborating and hearing the name over and over. And mm-hmm. I get to see you and making excuses to even just spend an hour with you. So mm-hmm. thanks, man.
2: Thanks, Peter. I love the work that you're doing and hooking people up with some really good resources and ideas. Keep it up. Thanks, man.
0: Relationships. Let's Talk About It is a production of HeartShare Counseling and Consulting, PC of Asheville, North Carolina. For more on Licensed Counselor, Prebo Teplitsky, visit heartsharecounseling.com. Theme music by Adi the Monk. This content is intended for informational purposes only, is not a substitute for professional counseling and psychotherapy, medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment, and does not constitute medical or other professional advice. Relationships, Let's Talk About It is produced by OxBus. You can create your own professional podcast today, faster and easier. Try it for free at auxbus.com. That's A-U-X-B-U-S dot com. Auxbus.